Welcome to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. I'm your host, Tim Reed. And I'm so excited that you're listening to this today. Thank you for stopping by the Firetime Podcast. Now, it's crazy to think, but we are almost done with season one. This is episode 11. And, and I'm just blown away thinking back to all the guests that we've had and all the content that has been covered in the season so far. I hope it's something that's brought value to your company. I know for me, giving these interviews and speaking with these guests, it has been amazing what I've been able to take away from it. And so I hope the same is true for you. Now, today's episode is not going to let you down. The guest on the show today is the president of the biggest hearth company in our industry, and his name is VP, and this is actually someone that I've gotten to know pretty well over the last little bit, and I'm excited for you guys to hear him because VP, keeps a, he keeps a low profile, but this guy is crazy smart. I mean, he's a Harvard grad, and, and he's one of those people that is so smart, you talk to him, I mean, it's scary. And, and we cover some amazing topics. First of all, we talk about incident rate. Now, if that's a term that's not familiar with you, incident rate just means the percentage of new homes built that have fireplaces installed in them. And the incident rate is something that manufacturers at the national level are tracking because they're obviously trying to get into new construction homes and grow the industry. But for the last few years, the incident rate has been falling at the national level. There's not as many new construction homes that have fireplaces being put in. And that's something that me and VP jump into. We also talk about what it means to be a forward thinker. What talking to him has helped show me is that having a victim mentality of blaming outside circumstances doesn't help anybody. But when you can say no to tunnel vision, you say no to pointing the finger at outside sources, and you actually take responsibility and ownership for a problem, you can actually take control of your destiny. And it's awesome to hear him speak on that. Now, later on in the interview, he also talks about the different stages that a company goes through. And I want you to listen very, very carefully to this. It doesn't matter if you are a small mom and pop store, if you're a sales rep, if you work for a manufacturer, or if you're an installation, when he talks about the stages a company goes through, it is profound and it, it is it is worth getting out a pen and paper for it. Lastly, VP gives us the number one trait that he is looking for in a partner or a team member. And I'm telling you, it will not let you down. I would recommend listening to this episode twice. Now, I haven't said that with our other episodes because most of the other content you can catch the first time through. But VP talks at a high level, and this is packed with information. I'm just telling you guys, you're going to want to listen to this twice. You may not catch everything the first time through, but when you go through it a second time, I guarantee you're going to take a ton away that you missed the first time. Because VP is one of those guys, I mean, we don't prep for these interviews or anything like that. I ask him a question, and it's like he's got a four-point answer with different sub-points, and all he had was two seconds to process it before I asked him the question, and he's such a loaded thinker, it's worth chewing on what he says. Now, one thing I've heard with the company that he represents is they're the 800-pound gorilla. They're a huge manufacturer, and you might sell a different line of fireplaces, and it's easy to get cynical. You know, they're the biggest company. They're publicly traded, but don't give in to cynicism. I'm telling you that this guy leads with an unbelievable humility, and there's some serious, serious wisdom that he has. So I cannot wait for you to hear this interview We're going to circle back afterwards and talk about it. But in the meantime, enjoy. 
Joining me from Lakeville, Minnesota, is the president of Hearth and Home Technologies and the leader of the free world of fireplaces. I'm joined by VP Berger. How you doing, VP? I'm doing great, Tim. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, first of all, thanks so much for being here. We really, really appreciate it. Oh, this is exciting. You, you're, you're very innovative in this industry, and you know, to get us to think differently about what we're working on every day is good for all of us. So thanks for including me. Oh, cool. Well, hey, it's my pleasure. Well, jumping into it right away, I mean, most people read about you in the magazines, they see you at the trade shows, but it's not very often that we actually get to talk about your origin story. And can you just, just in a quick summary, talk to the audience about what brought you here to the point that you're at now? Sure. Uh, I'd start by saying it's not linear, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, I was a finance and accounting major um, at Loyal University in Maryland. Spent three years in what's traditionally called public accounting, which basically you're working with a lot of clients. Uh, spent a lot of time how to learn how to read a balance sheet, read a P&L, understand cash flow, public companies, private companies, nonprofit, for-profit. And uh, it just gave me a really good background to understand how a P&L works. And that's really important, obviously, as I close this story. Um, from there, I actually had a favorite client. It was called Fulman Eastern. It was actually the largest installing distributor in the country on the East Coast. We had about 30 locations. Um, They hired me uh, as their finance leader, uh, which was a great run. So we grew that business from 30 million to 100 million in a relatively quick period of time. Uh, H&I approached us uh, early 2000, uh, as well as Allied Fireside in Minnesota, and we sold uh, early part of 2000 to Hearth and Home Technologies, which just was a perfect marriage for us. So the irony behind this, Tim, is we were CFM Majestic's largest customer. So, <laughs> so the minute the minute Hearth and Home purchased us, you know, we we thought there was still a win-win here. Uh, we didn't intend to convert all the business, but they uh, within a month, uh, and we were buying between twelve to fifteen million dollars a year in product from them. Uh, within a month, they cut us off, and it's the best thing that ever could have happened to us. Um, we were able to convert the business. Uh, immediately to Hearth and Home Technologies products. And it really taught me the importance of the relationship of the distributor to the builder versus the manufacturer. I know that sounds strange coming from me who leads Hearth and Home Technologies as the manufacturer. But at the end of the day, when I talk about how did I get to where I was or where I got to today, it's still going to come down to I was always the customer. So it was a great learning to, to understand how important that relationship is uh, for us to hold on to all that business. Uh, the rest of it's relatively easy, Tim. I spent four or five more years with the Fireside Hearth and Home Company, which was Thelman Eastern in finance and ops roles. I was fortunate enough that our prior president, Brad Dieterman, saw an opportunity for me to run our supply chain. So we were about a $600 million company at the time. So I spent a year and a half doing that, which was a whole different set of learnings, uh, running from finance and accounting as quick as I could, you know, to go learn the other sides. Um, and then we made a strategic acquisition of Harmon in 2008, and I got a chance to go move my family to Pennsylvania and run that business. Uh, quite frankly, I didn't know what a pellet stove was. Uh, <laughs> I'm not embarrassed to say that uh, now, but I was a little bit at the time. Uh, and we were able to successfully turn that great brand around, and then we're in the housing debacle in 09 and 10. So uh, Brad again asked me to move, and I moved to Minneapolis to lead our finance and operations team. We went from 600 million to 300 million in sales in like 15 seconds. Wow. It was a, it was a rough ride, uh, 3,000 employees to 1,000, but it 
just taught me a whole nother set of skill sets and, you know, what customers value and what you can't cut versus what you can cut. Um, and I think being a customer for so long before being on the manufacturing side helped. And I was very grateful that Brad saw an opportunity for me to do that. Um, and then from 2004 through 2015, multiple positions running finance operations, sales, marketing, procurement. Uh, it's a little bit of the culture of H&I. If they identify potential leaders that want to lead, they're willing to give them an opportunity. So uh, I've had 15 jobs in 20 years with the company. And I think that's one of the things I look back on is maybe the best thing for me that made me the best or the most ready. And I would tell you, I'm never ready. I mean, you're, it's just a complex business, but I think I'm more ready because of all those different options. And then in 2015, we didn't announce it, believe it or not. We didn't take it externally into 2016, which was what a great advantage for a new leader to, to not have the pressure on the outside while you're learning the new role on the inside. So four cycles into it. I love it. Wow. Yeah, that's awesome. And one thing that's been cool is I've spent a lot of time with the HHT people is there's a lot of folks in all different ranks of the company that have stories about working side by side with you as you were coming through the channels. And frankly, everyone has really enjoyed it. And everyone I've talked to is excited that someone that understands them and gets them is in that position of leadership. So that's really cool. Well, Tim, I think, and you know our organization well, the, the more and more as leaders, we realize it's not about us, the better we're just going to be. And the people that I know you work with get that. And uh, so that's a great compliment. I appreciate it. But I would tell you equally, they are super strong leaders. The team we have in this company, we've got 2000 employees and it's a, it's a strong, good, humble group, which, which leads with our culture. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's great, man. So what I want to jump into is this. I mean, we've spent a lot of time talking about this and, and at the macro level, HHT has got to be so concerned about all these different channels of business. I mean, you're a, you're a dominant player in new construction. You uh, sell through distribution. You sell through installing distributors. I mean, there's a lot of different areas where you need to be really concerned. But I want to talk about the national incident rate of fireplaces. That's something that I know you're keeping your eyes on really closely. Can you speak to that real quick? Yeah, I can. And, and you know, I actually don't even use the word concern because the, the, the economy is growing and the market is growing. So it's not as though we're not going to grow. But we're not going to grow to the pace that we want unless we address this. So it has to be seen as an opportunity. So at a macro level, incident rates gone from 55% to 45% in eight years. So that's a $100 million contraction of the market. So that's concerning, to your point. But I think it's more important you know, to apply our lean skills and ask why. What are the drivers? So uh, we're, not, we're not arrogant enough to think that we can figure that out ourselves. So we we spent a lot of money last year with a third-party consultant to say, come dissect this thing by home type, by geography, by builder, by buying model. And they came back with some pretty good stuff that, that first you start with what's root cause. And I would tell you there's four real easy ones to see, Tim. The first is house type. 10% of these homes built today are attached homes, townhomes. And they just, they just cause a different challenge to get a traditional direct vent fireplace in. So uh, I won't talk about the solution. I'll talk about the issue. That's going to grow to 15%. So incident rate's going to continue to go down. We call that face the brutal reality. And for all the same reasons, rural areas, urban areas, where the housing land, uh, national builders build 95% of this product. And the incident rate in that category is only 18%. So wow. 
more of that's coming. So we, we better get on our game to figure that out. The second is just pure geography. So the incident rate, it varies from, there's four that we track, whether it's the south, north, west, the east. Uh, it's somewhere between 39% in the lowest markets. And we have states that are lower than that, but the consolidated market of a region is 39 and as high as 63. There's just more homes being built in the south and the west that has lower incident rate. Again, there's solutions for that, but that's just economics on how it's being built. The third is the type of home being built. Coming out of the recession, there was a conscious effort by national builders to make homes more affordable. We all rem It's hard to forget 2010. Uh, well, when they did that, we started, and D.R. Horton was one of them with Express Homes. They launched a series of homes, a significant amount, that had no options. They wanted just to be able to be a home seller, not just a home builder. Well, the minute they did that, it put pressure on incident rates. So when you take the letter, and I'm not saying it's the wrong strategy for them. It makes perfect sense. We just have other solutions on why we should be in that home, and we're, and we're not in there yet. And then 15 to 18 of these other builders have all come out with this Express Home. So again instant rate's going to go down again. So what I'm trying to tell you is we're not done. And then the final thing, which is the one that we didn't realize, the fireplace wasn't standard anymore. It just happened right under our noses. So at least in the past, a fireplace would be standard. Even if it was an inexpensive fireplace, at least we were there. Well, the home builders moved to a strategy. We'll give you the option, but we want to lower the opening price. So because of that, 20% of the volume that we used to just count on being there evaporated. And you ask yourself why. And if you've ever built a home, I don't know, Tim, if you have, but the process is pretty stressful. You have to make a lot of decisions oh, yeah. relatively quickly. And because the fireplace wasn't standard anymore, we were relying, I call it the crime scene. You're relying on an uneducated rep on our product category, very educated in selling products and the built, but not necessarily fireplaces to hopefully get that across to a home buyer in a relatively short period of time. So mm -hmm. the accumulation of all of those is what's made incident rate go down. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to go down another three or four points until we equalize some of this. Yeah, no, that, that's really good. And I think, you know, incident rate, it was a term I, I've been in the industry for 13 years. I hadn't heard this term until like four years ago. And a lot of companies uh, at the dealer level aren't as concerned about it as they should be because the assumption is just, oh, every builder puts in a fireplace. I just got to try to win it. And I think what we're realizing is that people don't have to put in a fireplace. I mean, the fact that it's no longer a standard feature proves that. But the beauty is that people still want a fireplace. And that's the key is that we have to be able to get in front of the decision makers to show them that they actually do want this. We can't just rely on the builder to communicate that necessarily. Is that fair? Yeah, and what you just described is we have to change our selling model that matches the home buyer's buying model without trying to get too confusing on that. But if you think about it, I use the numbers 975. 90% of people want fireplaces. It's statistically proven, third party, not us. Seven thinks it's a requirement. So seven out of 10 really not only want them, they, they want to pay for it to get it. But if only five out of 10 are getting them, you have to step back and say, we're the problem, not the builder. Not the home buyer, the industry. Well, VP, here's what I think is really cool about that. I mean, you guys, you guys are not satisfied and complacent, and that's one thing that our industry has to fight. Is that is that you know very often when we've been doing things the same way for years and years, we get this tunnel vision and this complacency, and it's so cool that you guys are looking at this national incident rate falling and saying, 
no, I think that we're the problem. Like we have to actually innovate. We have to change what we're doing to match the consumer demands in order to serve them better. So I, that's really good. Where, where I want to go next is this. So a while back we had dinner together, I don't know, maybe six months ago or so. And we were talking about leadership. And in particular, I just, I just asked you and I said, look, you're the, I mean, you have, you're the most high profile job of the biggest company in the fireplace industry. And I joke and say, you're the leader of the free world of fireplaces, but you are because the industry follows the course that you set. And I wanted to ask you that, that, that night about leadership. And you told me four things that you look at when it comes to leadership. You talked about self-awareness, empathy, ingenuity, and wild goals. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I'd love to. It's actually, it ties back to my childhood and through college and Jesuit training. So uh, I got a chance to spend a decade under the Jesuits in education. And uh, those goals or those characteristics come straight out of their values. So uh, there's a book called Heroic Leadership, and I believe the author is is Chris Lowney. Uh, and it's a great story of someone that was in uh, the Jesuits and then went into the business side and how all these goals transferred across. So I'm not a big book pusher, but this is one that uh, I believe we all can benefit from. And, and the way it's written, it's simple. The actual Jesuit words are in this order important. It's self-awareness, ingenuity, love, and heroism. It's basically, you know, adapted a model that I believe uh, if you can live to those four principles every day, all the time, I believe you can rally around a vision and a strategy and get your people to do it. So I'd love to say I came up with it, but I certainly can tell you uh, it's not easy. I mean, each one of those has, you know, all sorts of different what I would call emotional intelligence elements to make sure you practice it. And, and Tim, some, sometimes I screw them up. Right. And, and but at least by having the model, you know, I can hold myself accountable to it saying, hey, am I willing to change enough? Am I practicing ingenuity? Am, am I driving too hard or? You know, where's the empathetic side of what the customer needs and what the employee needs? So I, I believe if you if you live to those four and you rally a mission around it, I think it's a good framework to to make amazing things happen. I'm, I'm with you. And that first one, self-awareness, is critical. And I think everything hinges on that because if you're not self-aware, I mean, just like you said, to be able to look at yourself and say, am I being empathetic here? Do I need to push harder? What am I doing to be, you know, uh, wild or just at wildly important goals? If you don't have that self-awareness, you have nothing. And I would argue that that cripples people and it, and it, and it just, it doesn't let them advance. Well, it brings in humility too. I mean, each one of these has a, and the book will show you that has a whole bunch of subsets of what you're describing, which again, makes it so darn hard, you know, in a, in a pretty fast changing environment. But, you know, it, it I've been using that model for almost 15 years and it hasn't failed me, but it's certain and what it does because of the self-aware, it tells me when I'm not aligned. So, uh, you know, hopefully that can help someone else as well. Yeah, that's really, really good. So if you're speaking to leaders in general, one thing that my eyes have been op been opened up to over the last six months is how we are all in this together. And in our industry, in a lot of ways can be very tight fisted, we fight over our piece of the pie. And there's a time and place for that as competition comes into play. But when we look at the national scale, particularly I'm talking about government affairs here, we have, you know, Senate Bill 1857 that's getting ready to, uh, to get added on to an amendment here pretty soon to try and extend NSPS by three years. This is a big deal. And this is something for me that has just made me realize like we are in this together. Can you, can you speak right now? You're talking to the whole industry. What do leaders in our industry 
need to be thinking about at the macro level? Yeah, I mean, the the elements that you're talking about, whether it's NSPS, DOE, EPA, Cal Green, you know, I can go on and on. You know, one is making sure your companies are engaged. This is a, the HPBA does an amazing job of providing us a forum to collectively talk about strategies with these things. So again, we're responsible to make sure we're engaged in all of those because at the end, that's just one sort of disruption. So I guess that's kind of point one, and we take it very seriously, and I'm very grateful for the HPBA and the government affairs and the board uh, that allows us to have a seat in each of those and and certainly enjoy working with the leaders of the other manufacturers. And I I know some people listening to this are going to say, hey, that doesn't happen, and trust me, it does. I've I've got very good friends in this business that we compete on the field, yet when we're off the field, we're trying to do all the right things for this industry. So that's one. And I'd say that's more specific to the industry. I this, To answer that secondly, when you say macro, you know, Tim, we always, we always segment our business. It's too dangerous to say the fireplace industry. And in our case, we're multi-brand, multi-channel, global and vertically integrated, which means we have seven different sales forces attacking a consumer. So, you know, I would say that's the first thing is self-aware of, of who your audience is and how are, you, how are you attacking that to make sure you're solving a need. The second is I would say look at these different markets. There's a new home market and then there's an existing home market. It's a different way of saying remodel and new construction. Those are channels. So what, are we, what should we be thinking about You know, on the new construction side? Incident rate. Don't overthink it. You know, What are we doing as an industry to... to Turn the trend, and because it's the fastest way to to go into a peril or a tough situation is to lose your market. In in addition, inside of new construction market or new home market, think about what home buyers want. You know, it, it's it's not hard. It's they're the same as you, and you know, without getting into all the strategies, it's it's smart home and consumer interface. It's basic stuff, but you know, we as an industry have to make sure we're providing consumers and home buyers what they want. On the remodel side, it's different. You know, it's always going to be more niche uh, Most dealers carry lots of brands and they want to make sure they're taking care of consumers' needs. So I think it goes up a level. It's about ease and convenience. What are we doing to attract, engage, get them through willingness to consider that's easier and convenient? And I, and I don't think you'd say you don't think any differently, Tim, when you're looking at researching something, ease and convenience is everything. Oh, so, man, I'm so glad you went there. Yeah, it's, it's everything. We have to make it easier to buy from us. Yeah, it's a, it's a high-dollar, infrequent purchase that on the, on the new home side, they're not educated to how to sell. But and on, the, on the remodel side or the home, you've got multiple businesses. It's not like it's one thing. You've got inserts, you have remodeling existing space, you're remodeling a new space. So I think we all have to rally around ease. So that's, it's not a competitive nature to, to talk about that. It's, it's something home buyers and consumers want. So those would be the four or five, Tim, yeah. I think is an industry we got to think about. That's great. Well, and that's perfect to where this goes next. What, what I found, I mean, I've, I've been in the industry now for about 13 years. I've sold all the major manufacturers, I've, I've, I, you know, as I look at HHT, what you guys have done, you guys have nailed systems and processes. I mean, on a scale that no one else has, and it is, it is crazy how 
precise you are. And and I know that it wasn't always that way. I'm imagining that, you know, 2008 had something to do with it. When you drop from 600 to 300 million, you got to, you know, tighten the belt and figure out how you're going to do this. But can you speak to just the value of systems and processes and how companies need to take that seriously? Yeah, I, well, there's it's for a lot of reasons. Whether you're, whether you're a public entity like ourselves or a private business that we do business with every day, I, we kind of preach the same thing. And, and I will also tell you, we overshoot this too. So there, there's a lot of good and sometimes we can go too far. So, you know, at 30,000 feet, Tim, I'd say it's about growth. It prepares you for growth and it gives you a framework of how to do business. You know, as a customer... You know, when I was buying from whether it was Majestic or Superior or, or Heatalator, I needed to know how to do business with them. So if you can make that super simple and create ease for them, you create connectivity. So, and, I, and why is that important? First, it protects quality. If you don't have strong systems in place, whether it's new product development, whether it's regional distribution center shipping, whether it's how you package stuff, and it's an imperfect world. We're going to break stuff. Don't get me wrong. But Good systems and framework, although it makes us go much slower, we are are not nimble. At least I know our quality is protected. The second thing is it protects on-time delivery. We know uh, the value chain for us is relatively expensive investment. We've got multiple distribution centers, and we spend tens of millions of dollars in freight, and we follow day lanes, and there's all sorts of strategy involved. But the reality is none of that matters. What you care about as a customer is, is my stuff going to show up on time? And I think strong systems and processes allow that to happen. It's, it's expensive, but at least it gives a value proposition that's important to you. And then the third thing it does, it protects cost. And, and this is a little bit counterintuitive. Well, Berger, you just said it's expensive. And I said, no, it's, it's, it is expensive. That's an investment. And your return on investment or your return on invested capital is based on what you get back based on that. And if the systems are strong and you become predictable and you can deliver quality products and you can deliver it on time, you get a chance to be the preferred supplier of choice. And I believe our processes have allowed us to continue to win the share of mine of customers because they do show up on time and the stuff does work. So when I say protects costs, it protects total cost. Not saying we're the cheapest, but when you look total costs. And then finally, and this one's probably the most important to me, it protects safety. I've, you know, we've got 2,000 people that come to work every day. And they're on job sites, they're in factories, they're in distribution centers, and our job is to send them home safely the same way they can. And if you have good, you know, lean discipline around organizational management, everything has a place, you just give your members, which are employees, a better chance to go home safely. So, you know, at 30,000 feet, Tim, it protects growth, it gives you a framework of how to do business with us, and, and it allows us to deliver a Lincoln Lean value chain. That said, we've gone too far, and I'm not afraid to say that. I mean, I've, we've got customers saying you're too tight. So, and as we talk about, you know, phases of an organization, you have to find the balance, and we're still trying to figure this out, of how do you do all those things well yet still stay customer-centric? And it's not easy, and I know we're not there yet, but it's certainly something that, that we're looking at. Well, that's what your job is, and that's the beauty of it is that you get to pull the levers to even that out. And what you're saying is perfect because as companies invest into systems and processes, and just as a side note, I mean, I found for me, you know, I run six showrooms, I've got multiple sales teams under me. 
the only way we've been able to scale is with systems and processes. We cannot run a business like the Wild West and expect it to grow. What you're talking about are ways to scale a company. And I've heard you speak about this. We were in Nashville, I don't know, six months back and talking with uh, with my boss, John Waterstrat, about the different stages a company goes through. That a company's different at $5 million than they are at 10. They're different at $50 million than they are 100. They're different at $300 million than 600. Can you talk about that real quick? Yeah, I'd be happy to. And, and I'll speak to it as it relates to development of a business. So it's not a specific business. So they most of them start as entrepreneurial. You know, it's someone that truly feels as though somewhere a consumer's need is not getting taken care of. And it's it's fast. It's nimble. They run to the front. So whether you're a $10 million business or a $50 million business, you make decisions quick. It's not best cost, it's not best profitability, but you're starting to make a name for yourself. Then, then you move into what I would call the identity stage. That is the, what I was talking to John about, is you got to start making significant investments. You can't run your business the same way when you're trying to scale. Uh, so once you're through entrepreneur, you found your identity, then I think you go into a vision, some sort of, here's my purpose and this is where I'm going. And that's whether your $50 million business or a $400 million business is really hard because you got to get everyone locked on one vision, communicate it, get them aligned and let them know how they fit. When you're doing that, which is exactly what you and John were describing, you are putting in these processes. You are making significant cost investments. You are, you are allowing yourself to scale. Here's the problem. You become incredibly internally focused. So you've just flipped from a entrepreneurial business now you're starting to get larger and make money and you get too internally focused and then i say i would say the last phase of that tim is you become customer centric and the way i describe that is you have the right system and processes that allow you to compete and the right to win in the market yet you still have empowered members to do the right thing for their customers you've moved empowerment closest to the customers you can and there's three ways to test that. One is, you know, external consistency. And it's, this is common sense. And most of this stuff is, should be common sense. It's just how do we apply it? But in a true customer-centric market, you know, external consistency means you have the right products. We can compete in the right areas. You don't feel like there's threats. You know, we all do that. All of our competitors. Internal consistency is harder. How do you make sure everyone's lined up working as one ecosystem? And then finally, I would say the the... The pinnacle, and I know we're not there yet, is what I would call dynamic consistency. That means we have a customer-centric culture. We know that our people are empowered to take care of the customers. The processes take all the waste out for you. And I think the most important thing, are we doing today what's going to allow us to compete in the future? And, and I think sometimes we get so caught in day-to-day that we may be missing what could be disrupting us. And I'm not talking about Hearth and Home. I'm talking about the industry as a whole. So so to sum it up, I think there's three phases. It's entrepreneurial. Good. Then you move into identity. Then you move into a, uh, a focus strategy that causes you to become internally fo- focused. And then you got to snap out of it to get to the customer centric. So uh, it's not linear, very hard, um, but but it's it's certainly phases that I've seen from a $30 million business that went to 100 to a 300 to a 600 back to 280. And now we're pushing 600 again. Um I've seen it consistently play out this way. 
Wow, that's awesome. As you're as you're speaking, man, my mind is just humming because I think everybody can relate to being somewhere on that scale. Well, VP, we appreciate your time. And as we round out here, I want to ask you one last question. I mean, like I said, you're the president, the biggest company uh, in our industry that's doing this. And I want to ask you just to speak to the audience. And if if you're talking to folks who want to grow, who want to get better, who want to contribute, what is the number one trait that you are looking for in partners and in team members? Oh, I'd say this is this is a tough one, bud. But I, you know, I look at it as in our team, and what do I look for first? And one is is we look for people that have a discipline. With generalists, when you're trying to drive a business, is they're great as it relates to you know getting things done. But as as you're driving a business, what is what is the discipline that they have that makes them an expert? And that could be from HR to finance to manufacturing, ops, lean, market, doesn't matter. It's, but it's has, you have to have that. Two is financial acumen. You could have the best strategy in the world, but if you actually don't understand the levers you're pulling, both internally and externally, then ultimately it, it's not going to lead to a, a probably a very good solution for your customers or for yourself. Third is strategic thinking. It's, it's critical. Uh, you know, as, as we're building teams in this industry, we have people thinking through not just intended consequences, but unintended consequences. And it's what I love about government affairs, Tim. It, it, it shows that we can do that as an industry to talk through it. And then fourth, uh, you know, find tough skin. This is, it's combat out there. And, and yeah, it's emotional. And I'm an emotional leader, my team would tell you. And you know that. You've seen me. But the reality is we got to not take things personally and, and, we got to build teams around people that are a little bit tough skin that do believe there's a better way to solve a consumer or a home buyer's needs. So, you know, I think there's probably four sides to that question, Tim. Wow. Yeah, that's a great answer, VP. And I love that you mentioned discipline. Discipline's a dirty word in our culture right now, and it is it is a crucial, crucial piece that you need to have success. So that's really good. Well, VP, you didn't let us down. Your content was amazing. And I got to say, our mutual friend, Tim Rethlick told me one time, he goes, he goes, you know, VP, you never know he's a CPA. He's got too much personality and you lived up to that. <laughs> I thought we got out of here without advertising the CPA, but okay, that's fair. I am a recovered accountant. So, so I appreciate it. Tim. Your questions were great. And thanks for what you do for the industry. Hey, thanks, man. We appreciate you being here. Take care. Wow, what an awesome interview. I'm telling you guys, VP Burger knows what's going on. And I want you to listen to that again. There is some amazing content. It's a loaded, loaded interview. So make sure to listen to that for a second time with a pen and paper. Now, I hope you guys picked up on his humility. He's running a huge company. I mean, $600 million. And they're continuing to grow and grow and grow. But if you listen to him, he is a humble leader. And I think that that really comes across. Now, I love the four attributes that he brought up at the end. And I think that it's worth going back and and taking a listen to those. You know, number one is discipline. The fact is that when you meet someone that's disciplined, they wake up in the morning, they have a routine, they have a routine when they go to work, they know how to prioritize what's important, what's not, they hone their craft, they practice their craft. When you meet someone like that, you can't help but want to be like them. You know, not just discipline, but the next one he talked about was financial acumen. I mean, the fact is, is that when you're someone who understands finances, when you're not broke, when you know how to manage money and how to think about growing it, it makes you very attractive to companies because ultimately that's what companies want to do too. 
strategic thinking. That's amazing. How many people are there out there who they can't think strategically towards the future? They're stuck with the here and now. Strategic thought is incredible because it it makes you step out of just your own situation and think contextually about how what you do affects the bigger picture. And then lastly, I love that he talked about thick skin. There's someone I work with in my company that was telling me, you know, sometimes in order to mature, you just have to take a lot of punches. And I think that that there's something to that. So from VPs on words, someone that he wants to work with, disciplined, they need to have financial acumen, strategic thought, and they need to have some thick skin. I love it. And I hope that that was valuable for you guys. Now, if this season has been valuable for you and the content has been something that you have resonated with, I'm telling you that you need to come out to Expo 2019 in Dallas, Texas this year. I'm going to be speaking and my class is going to be on Wednesday, March 13th. And my class is going to be called Make It Easy how to sell more by eliminating customer confusion. And I'm telling you, it's going to be a condensed version of what we've talked about this whole season in the podcast. But essentially, we make life so difficult for our customers. I mean, it's unbelievable how difficult we make things for them in our industry. And by simplifying what we do and making it easier for customers to buy from us, we will actually exponentially increase our sales and grow our businesses way beyond anything we could have imagined. And we'll actually have a lot happier customers along the way. So I hope to see you there, Dallas, Texas, Wednesday, March 13th. My class is called Make It Easy, How to Sell More by Eliminating Customer Confusion. Now, the last thing I'm going to say before I sign off is this, is that if this content has been valuable for you, I want to come back with a season two, but I'm only going to do it if you reach out to me and you tell me what you want to hear about and who you want to hear from. Now, in order to drop me a line, you can send an email to tim at itsfiretime.com. That's tim at itsfiretime.com. Let me know what we need to be talking about. Let me know how season one has impacted you and also what questions you still have. Then we'll come back for a season two where we can answer all of those. The goal is to help you make a difference in your companies. I mean, I remember I remember being in a position five years ago where I felt like there was a lot more. I felt like I could contribute more and I felt like there was just something I was missing in the industry. And I want this to be a resource for you guys to be able to take hold of your potential and maximize it so you can grow your companies and bless a ton of customers along the way. So with all that said, thank you guys so much for listening. I can't wait to see you at Expo this year. Peace out. Thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast. To learn more, visit the website itsfiretime.com. Music from this episode was written and recorded by In Bloom out of Portland, Oregon. We thank you for listening to the Firetime Podcast, where it's never hot enough, slow is fast, and the way to win is to make it so stupidly easy to buy from you that there's no excuse not to. We'll see you next time. I'm all into buying.